Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first ever remotely recorded episode of Sequelizers. This is very weird. I'm sat on my own in a room in my own flat, not at Sequelizers HQ, aka Matt's living room. There's no hot black leather beneath my buns. <laughs> Wait, you guys haven't got dressed up in leather to do this? I mean, I'm top half leather, bottom half denim. That's my usual. Ah, okay, yeah. That's AKA fair. the Alec Plowman. <laughs> that's a that's a reasonable, uh, you know, compromise in these difficult times. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's what's allowed in you know what is essentially an apocalypse. And if you're listening to this in the future, do you remember that time when like COVID nineteen, the coronavirus, took over the world and <laughs> it was all gone to shit? That's now for us. And Tim and Matt and I, for the first time ever, are not recording in the same room as each other. We're all sat with our little laptops and computers and stuff trying to record. Weirdly, in the future episodes, that won't be happening because we recorded our interseason out of order. So there's going to be some... Uh, the, 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 the people who you hear next week are just going to be blissfully unaware of what's coming for them. Correct, yeah. The... Uh, the earlier episodes in this interseason break and the later episodes in this interseason <laughs> break will be fine. It's this, this middle bit of madness where it happens to take place in an apocalypse. Yeah. So in, in the absence of doing full intros and stuff, Tim, how are you? How, how's, how's surviving the apocalypse been for you so far? Uh, yeah, I mean, fine. Um, the, the, what people call social distancing is more or less just how I practice my everyday life. So that's how uh, I was feeling as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I've got to go outside and not talk to people or touch anything. I'm like, yeah, that's what I do when I'm shopping. I have my headphones <laughs> on and I try not to look or touch or speak to anything or anyone. Mm. That's my, my role when I'm outside. Um, but yeah, just been just been taking the normal precautions and um, weighing up whether it's uh, like whether running out of Pringles is justification to go to the shops. <laughs> yes, it probably is. It's a risk worth That's taking. emergency retail right there. Yeah. How about you, Jack? How are you doing? I'm good, yeah. Working from home, hanging out with my cat a lot more, who might make a, an appearance on the show. She's been on a few other podcasts I've recorded, so it <laughs> makes sense for the, uh, the the menace that is Toothless the Cat to eventually show up on sequelizers. Um, but yeah, I'm doing all right. It's, it's I weird love a cat cameo on a on a podcast. Yeah, you can't go wrong. She she she's very loud, very like attention seeking. No, she if she walks in the room, yeah, she sounds like Markiplier doing that cat video exactly. <laughs> but she, yeah, we will certainly hear her if you haven't already. She I think she did wander in a couple of minutes ago, so we'll we'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, and Mr. Stogden, Sorry. actually the only one in Sequelizers usual studio yeah how are you how, how's the apocalypse been for you so far fucked okay good so uh on this episode we're <laughs> no so basically uh yeah um for those who don't know and don't need to know other than doing filmmaking and tons of other bits and pieces etc etc uh the day job is working with the nhs so obviously Ugh. it's grueling and, and monstrous um and i haven't been able to be to work from home yet as a lot of the country has at this point so I'm uh, I keep using a lot of Titanic references at work um, and to people at office at work. I say, hey, have you seen Titanic? And they're like, yeah, of course I have. 
And I was like, you know the bit where uh, the Irish mammy is like, I want to make sure all the first class passengers get in the boat. I want to be ready, don't we? Yeah, we do. Okay, good. And, but they know full well they're not getting off that boat. The Irish stay on the boat and they die. And that's me uh, at work. Um, so far, I'm healthy. <laughs> A dying Irishman. Yes. But yes, it will. It's, it's all a bit crappy and it's all compromising general uh, normality, uh, which is very frustrating. And people are having a very, very shit time in terms of obviously not just disruption to their lives, but also obviously people losing their fucking lives, which is terrible. Um, so hopefully this will be a nice bit of a, a respite for everybody, a nice uh, break from the from the sorrow of it all. And as Jack said, if you're listening way in the future and you're like, ugh, this one sounds different. It's like, yeah, it's when we had voice boxes before we had to have <laughs> our throats ripped out to save ourselves from coronavirus part two. Which is probably coming. It was like when Kane the wrestler spoke for the first time on WWF oh, TV, yeah. and he had that weird little voice box, and I, I can't remember what he said, but it was something really stupid. Would you like some tacos? Yeah, it was literally something really inane and mundane. It's like I am Kane or something, and it was literally like this, yeah, little vocoder, one of those voice oh, boxy things. No, I do remember because I'm a bit big Kane fan. It was um. I came Favorite to bring the pain, hardcore from the brain. Let's go inside my astral plane. Find out my mental based on instrumental. <laughs> <laughs> because he respects the meth. Can we get a Glenn Jacobs rap album, please? Um, only if he's covering Wu-Tang tracks. That he exclusively <laughs> will do. The, the mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee does Wu-Tang covers. What's not to love? For people who don't know who the wrestler Kane is, this is this is another language. But he's also yeah, an actor. A guy who used to be a professional wrestler turned into an actor, then back to a wrestler again, and then now is a mayor of a place in America. And this is all real. And he's like legit seven feet tall. Politics is the eventual fate of all wrestlers. Yeah, it's a weirdly common like career path. <laughs> Following in the steps of Jesse the Body Ventura, famously. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think it's, you know, you get good at speaking in front of crowds. And what other skills <laughs> do you need in politics? I mean, Kane didn't speak in front of crowds for the first, like, ten years of his career. Pile sure. driving and choke slamming. That's the real nature of politics. You want to get shit done. <laughs> he did choke slam a dude through a table in his acceptance speech or his announcement of running or something like that. I mean, that One makes of sense. his aides, like, ran on and then he was like... What? What are you doing here? And then, oh, and then choke slammed him. <laughs> <laughs> they started playing the AIDS theme. <laughs> the AIDS theme? What the fuck is that? The fucking Philadelphia title music. <laughs> I, I assume that's, we all have AIDS. AIDS, AIDS, AIDS. AIDS. Uh, or, La Vie Bohème from Rent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> La Vie Bohème. Are you much of a musical... Man, I, 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 yeah, I enjoy musicals. Arguably, I think the problem with Rent is, is it's aged really badly um, mm. because the the guy who's effectively the bad guy in it all, it you know, when you actually realise what happened to that district in uh, in New York, is actually trying to help them with an investment, but they're too arty and they're too uh, bohemian and cool. <laughs> I mean, it comes it comes from a very specific time when like talking about AIDS was still incredibly taboo and oh yeah no it's it was still very very bold and very important argument mm. yeah I shall know the songs and he's and he's doing he's doing gentrification Matt <laughs> some of us some of us have still got soul Matthew I never had a soul Tim 
I'm not, I'm not saying I do. I'm just saying <laughs> some people somewhere still have souls. Uh, I've yet to meet them. So should we crack in into what this episode is actually about? This episode is all about a thing that we've not really discussed in any detail, which is quite unusual for us. We've we've covered a lot of movie subjects over our podcasting careers on this show. We're talking about the good, the bad, sometimes the ugly, I guess, of famous film twists. And as soon as we brought up this subject, there was a very interesting discussion between the three of us, because I brought up a couple of them, and Matt was like, no, those are not twists. I have a very clear definition of a twist. Fuck you, Mr. Chambers. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. So, Matthew... Since you were so passionate about it, yeah, and having to go at me about it, <laughs> would you would you like to share with the listeners your definition of a twist in in movie and cinema? It's when the penis goes in. Oh, when a when a mummy film and a daddy film <laughs> love each other very much. Before we get into that, we should say there's going to be a whole bunch of spoilers in this episode, but it'll be mostly for twists that are generally well known. Mostly, I think so. Yeah. And obviously, we'll talk about the films before bringing up the actual twist for them. So, if people, if you need to, if you need to skip around and skip ahead, we we understand. But uh, we're mostly covering stuff that's pretty well known. Yeah, you'd hope so. So, um, the way we define twists. So, the, the one could argue, oh, this is a twist. And in fact, if you Google film twists, they come up with obviously a list. And we were just literally perusing this list and something about Jack bringing up certain things. And it's tricky because sometimes a twist or a, a, a development in the story of that nature where it pivots so strongly is so ingrained in a, in a viewing audience and, a zeitge- and, and sort of just the general culture, as it were, that you forget it's a twist. And on the other side of things, you have things that aren't actually twists, just reveals of a plot. So, for example, um, if uh, some of the, the uh, films that were listed were Chinatown and Scream. I don't really see those as twists, personally. Scream especially. It's like, oh, the twist is this. It's like, no, that's the reveal of who the killers, killers I should say, are. That's not a twist. That's That's just more story it's the whole point of the film right yeah that's like saying every agatha christie thing has a twist it's like no it doesn't that has the killer being revealed that's how it ends um chinatown's a tricky one because there is a, a um like every noir film it's not really that there's a twist it's the conclusion of the case and because the audience didn't know about it the information is revealed to them but again that's a revelation in my opinion as opposed to a twist The key definition of a twist, in our opinion, is that everything you believe about the events that have transpired in the film up until that point are either sort of turned out to be false or turned on their head or offer you a different prism to view the film through. And on top of that, um, it's not about expectation versus reality either. It's not like, oh, I was expecting this to happen. It turns out to be something else entirely. Nope, that's that's still not a twist. If the film actively goes out of its way, so that when you watch it through for a second time, you see it differently. And it's almost impossible to get the same viewing experience from scratch. Um, obviously, we'll give lots of lots of examples in a minute as to what that actually means. Um, but that's what, what I would initially uh, dub to be a twist by definition. Now, obviously... There will be, I think, some really clear black and white, and you'll say like, um, 
uh, well, this, this this film here is not a twist. This one is a twist. Good crow, bad crow situation. Very, very easy, clear mm -hmm. cut. However, there will be quite a few grey areas of, oh, is that even... I don't know. So if we just give you some examples, these aren't our picks, unfortunately, but these are some examples of some big twists that are so ingrained in culture that... Uh, you know, you you enter the film medium somehow already knowing these, whether you've seen the films or not. So the big one, one of the biggest ones I should arguably say, is The Empire Strikes Back. And we had a discussion about this ourselves, saying, is this a twist or is this a reveal? And specifically what I'm referring to is the, uh, the revelation of the identity of um, Darth Vader is in fact Anakin Skywalker, Luke Skywalker's father. Spoilers. <laughs> so... First of all, let's see. Let's do a bit of roundtable here. What what do we all think? I I think it's a twist personally because it it changes how the first not only the 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 first hour and a half of what you've just already seen in Empire Strikes Back is, but also the entirety of Star Wars. Everything that Obi Wan has said is a, effectively a lie or a concealed truth. So it becomes something that 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 changes the nature of the film. Not only that has come before, but everything that comes after it as well. I I think it's arguably a twist it's really difficult to approach because after 1979 or whatever like it, it was so spread in pop culture mm. like you know we we grew up in a generation that you know had star wars filtered down to us through things like the simpsons and you know countless other pop culture references and like you went into those films like i i can remember going to see the Star Wars when the special editions came out was the first time I'd seen them. Yeah. But I went in knowing that Darth Vader was Luke's father, you know, and I think, I think they do count as a twist, but I think it's not, it's not a twist that the film is built around, if that makes That's sense. That's true. It's it, not a film that, that, that uh, for lack of a better word, a Shyamalan, um, where it's like everything yes. is building to this twist. It's just like, oh my God, this is a huge, huge kick in the face, but it's not all there is. And we'll come back to it later. Yeah, because although it does it does reframe certain things, like what Obi-Wan had told Luke and stuff like that, and and how the rest of the conflict plays out, certainly, but it doesn't, like, there's a huge chunk of those films that it has absolutely no impact on. No, it's it's um, a character and... arc thing as opposed to a huge developmental story. I mean, it's still a massive story point, but it doesn't affect, say, for example, Han's story or yeah. Lando's story or Chewbacca's story or fucking anyone else's story other than really Luke and then slowly by extension Leia. Yeah, and I would say the, the Leia twins revelation has even less impact yeah like it just make, it, it, it makes a kiss very weird <laughs> that happened uh but really it kind of like going back through those films and knowing oh like oh but she's actually a sister that only really impacts that like the scenes where they think you know oh like oh you're you're aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper oh wow you're a beautiful princess like it just makes those weird <laughs> yeah it doesn't it doesn't reframe how you look at the story. Absolutely, yeah. They also kiss twice, by the way. It's, it's real weird. <laughs> For luck. Yeah, exactly. And funnily enough, I was watching the... I can't remember, there was a reference to something and it came back round to the prequels. 
And I was like, oh yeah, my partner Emma hasn't seen any Star Wars at all. Like She has not consciously sat down and watched any Star Wars content in her entire life. The most Star Wars content she's ever seen is me playing Jedi Fallen Order over the last couple of weeks. Right. That's the most content she's ever consumed. And we were talking about that. I was like, okay, I need to show you a scene. And I showed her the, I guess, the, the birth of Darth Vader. So where, where Anakin is chopped up and put in the suit. And then when Natalie Portman's terrible pregnancy acting. And then her death of, a, death of the yeah loss of the will to live and all that bollocks. And Emma couldn't believe how bad it was. <laughs> I was like, he's like, wait. I mean, those are some what? particularly bad moments. Yeah, those those are the those are the worst. And he was like, wait, so so Luke and Leia are they twins? They're the ones from the first one. I was like, yeah. Like, don't they kiss? I'm like, yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, it's always real weird. Some Game of Thrones type shit. And she's like, yeah, that's really weird. And it occurred to me that she had no idea they were twins that were separated at birth and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, how have you? Avoided that, but she How knows they avoid kiss. And I, I think I showed her that at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I think I might have showed her that next. No, yeah, like, of course, what? of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, and Uber Uber was very confusing for her as well, which is just a whole thing. It doesn't help that my partner's a nurse, and she's like, "What the fuck? Is this is the worst." Um, anyway, and having that moment of like, "Oh yeah, you haven't experienced that before. That's a weird moment." And I'm the same as you, Tim. I can't remember a time before. No, I am your father. Like that is so ingrained in my brain when I'm watching those films, and I just know it to be true. <laughs> and I just don't like don't have a concept of my life before that because obviously I was born after all three of the original trilogy. We were all born, yes, you know, yes. after the original trilogy came out. So there's no, we didn't see them in the cinema or whatever. And, Neither of my parents are big Star Wars. My dad's a big Trekkie, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, in the Star Trek Five episode. Um, so I very much grew up on Star Trek, but I don't remember watching Star Wars for the first time and having that moment of revelation. Whereas a couple we'll talk about today, uh, there are like, I know exactly where I was and what I was doing when I saw this movie yeah, kind of thing yeah. and saw that revelation and saw that twist. With that in mind... Um... Well, just to bring up some a few more big twists that people might be thinking, oh, well, yeah, okay, what about Empire Strikes Back? Um, just to list off three of the big ones um, that, again, are so ingrained that you might not think of them. First of all, Psycho. Um, that mo Most importantly, that the killer is, in fact, Norman Bates dressed up as his mother. And he's literally a psychotic individual with schizophrenic sort of uh, multiple personality disorder, etc. Um, big twist. No one saw that coming. So that was a huge thing, unless you read the book. Um, second one is Planet of the Apes, the original Planet of the Apes. The fact that, you know, it was Earth all along. Damn you, maniacs! Uh, with the Statue of Liberty. You blew it up. Exactly. <laughs> and the third one is The Wizard of Oz, uh, which is a strange thing to add in there, because he's like, there's a twist? I was like, yeah, the twist is she, you know, arguably just passed out in front of a tornado, because reasons. <laughs> and then had a bit of a weird dream about all her friends and people in Technicolor. And then she tries to describe colours of a sepia people. And you were there. You were there. And <laughs> you were there. Yeah. But the, the, the idea that it was all a dream. And then, to be fair, it's all a dream 
we'll come back to you later as well because that is one we of the most age-old fuck fucking cliche but also uh, iconic sort of um, twists since like the 20s but again we'll get back to that a little later but there's there's an example of big twists and people can usually it won't take them long to name a twist because they'll think of things like M. Night Shyamalan films and go oh yeah all of them <laughs> I I particularly don't think of and again this is one where you nowadays you can kind of grow up knowing it but Planet of the Apes and it's been a long long while like I haven't seen Planet of the Apes since I was a kid but to me, that isn't really even a twist. At least not in the what? what? At least not in, not in the sense that like it's obviously a revelation to the characters. But like I can remember watching it and just being like, "Well, yeah, there there's humans and there's evolved apes. Like, of course, it's Earth. <laughs> like, See, where, where else would it be?" I think that's a case of again. This is maybe another thing about the twi- nature of twists. Is it a twist if you're smart enough to get it? <laughs> the mainstream yeah. are not. Because the mainstream yes, are like, oh, I don't understand. Oh my God. People are idiots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A twist can be something that's really in depth and go over everybody's head and like, oh my, oh my God, that's intense. Or a twist can be the fact that it's just so um, blindingly obvious that it becomes, in fact, painful. But again, we'll come back to that shit later. I, th- I think that's and that's that's often a function of like genre as well. Mm. Like you say, like there's a lot of these uh, films where you know if you Google like best twists ever, where it's you know something like Scream or you know whatever, and it's like oh you know it turned out the killer was this person. It's like yeah, but if you're going into a mystery film, uh, especially a murder mystery, like you're expecting the there to be some kind of clever element to who the killer was. Yeah. You know, like if point, we're talking, you know, say um, Knives Out. I'm not going to say anything about Knives Out. It's far too soon. It's not got a home video release mm. yet. But Knives Out is a great example because you know you're going into it expecting these kind of revelations and twists. Uh, twists being multiple twists because it's not just one thing. There, the 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 story is slowly unfolding before you because of it. Yeah, exactly. So it's as much as there are story relevate uh, revelations in those. I kind of, I, I am always sort of loath to call them twists because it's like, yeah, but that's that's exactly what I'm expecting yes, from that yeah. film. To me, to me, a twist involves in some way uh, confounding my expectations or, or bringing something in that I was not prepared for. Mm-hmm. Tim, do you want to kick us off with a particular twist that stood out in your mind from cinematic history? Uh, yes, um, I, I I kind of struggle with this because I I um, hate twists. Yeah, I I, I I often go into like I'm not a person who like reads up a Wikipedia article before I go into a film or whatever. I just seem to often have twists spoiled for me. Oh, um, interesting. And, and so it's it's rare that I'll go in kind of completely or or. If I if I am going in not knowing what the twist is, I'll already know that there is a twist coming, kind of thing. Mm. Um, but mm. one film that I can remember, kind of going in and being like, "Oh wow, yeah, this 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 was done really cleverly." Was Arrival, uh, the uh, Denis Villeneuve, uh, Amy Adams uh, film, and yeah. that to me is kind of the perfect example because it is a film that uses kind of uh, filmmaking convention 
very cleverly where you think you're seeing flashbacks for the bulk of the film and then and you just you it, it doesn't need to tell you that they're like flashbacks or fool you in that way just the kind of the grammar of storytelling just makes you make that assumption yourself and then as the story progresses and obviously you get this kind of idea that uh, the communication that the aliens are providing works beyond time you start to kind of question that and then at the end it kind of unveils itself and it does make you want to immediately go back and rewatch the film with that new understanding um and so and it and it's you know it's one that has this kind of it's it's good because it it brings together an emotional resonance and a plot resonance you know the the twist is essential for how the film ends because um amy adams character is able to basically remember things that haven't already happened and so convince uh, the Chinese to back down from from nuking the aliens, but it also, in doing that, you realise, you know, exactly what has happened to her daughter in the future, and the fact that knowing that sort of makes it inevitable at the same time, and you suddenly get this kind of whole tragic sense of how the rest of her life is going to play out. It's uh, to me, it's 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 a very well done twist, and it. it it's executed incredibly well. I agree. I think we all love Villeneuve on this uh, on this Amen. show. Amen. Um, it, it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, and um, I, I I remember coming out of this the cinema having seen this film, and I said to my wife, who's very much into a highbrow sci-fi as well, and said, "You would love this film." And she was really annoyed she didn't get a chance mm. to see it in the cinema. I had to wait until all the way until oh, came out on Blu-ray, and managed not to get it spoiled for her, thankfully. Um, but it was it, it has that interesting memento style structure and that it, it's it's a, it's a disjointed narrative but unlike memento which is you know again because it's a crime epic sort of thing it just carries on and you learn bits and pieces whereas our arrival is again so so different in how it presents itself in what it means to the story and what it means to the characters what it means to the audience how it means to interpret and the thing is as well that's quite interesting it may come back to this one quite frequently it's also obviously based on a book and i think that's a, a kind of key factor as well because as much as it's a little disjointing as a film i can't imagine how much of a mind fuck it would mm. be as a book but i do love it i think arrival's a great show yeah it's a great kind of example of the the modern i think golden era of highbrow sci-fi but we've had some amazing examples of it over the last few years and as you said matt Denis Villeneuve is is loved by all three of us and Amy Adams's performance is really so central to that twist, in my opinion, as well. It, it, she brings something, and, and as you said, Tim, you kind of fill in the blanks without realising it because you're aware of how storytelling works and how narratives traditionally work. And the way she doesn't give anything away with her acting to the unsuspecting eye is just absolutely masterful as well. Mm. I'm not really a big Amy Adams fan, but... Again, it's always the thing when you when you have a film with an actor or an actress that you're not really fond of particularly, and you walk away thinking, "God damn, that was a fucking fantastic performance." High praise indeed from from noted Amy Adams hater Matt Stockton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Matt, as it says, on Matt, my do you want to uh, take up the next choice then? 
My first choice is going to be, uh, again, based on a novel, um, Fight Club. Ooh, um, I love a twist. Which, again, is one of those it was all in his head kind of things. Um, but the idea, basically, that the, the lead character played by Ed Norton, the narrator, or Jack as he's often referred to, uh, turns out his, his good buddy Tyler Durden is in fact a manifestation of what's already in his head and he is in fact acting it out. But the revelation is so fantastic in of itself. The twist of like, oh, hang on a minute. And, and you know, Brad Pitt's character says to, to, to Ed Norton's character, say it, go on. You can say it because we're the same person. There it is. And then he passes out. Um, and the film keeps going and there's more stuff going on. So because it's, it, it's still, it's not just a last minute ooh moment. It's a proper change in the story dynamic. Um, but what's also brilliant because it's David fucking Fincher is so much of that is bled into the film in the start. So when um, the narrator is suffering from insomnia, and can't sleep and talks about a copy of a copy and he gets so very tired. There are a couple of blips on screen of Tyler um, just just inserted in. And and there's just so many little quirky cues and, and clues in there and, and hidden bits and pieces. Um, but as a revelation, as a real, uh, you know, a real twist for the audience, it's like, oh, fuck, everything makes sense now. In the sense that, you know, the way he acts around Marla... Um, Helena Bonham Carter's character and the development of the character and the way everyone interacts with him in general. And then it, it goes a little further by showing you alternate cuts of the exact same scene where you see Tyler and, and Jack beating themselves up. And then it's just literally just Ed Norton in a car park. Just chucking himself about. Aping himself. And there's the line, there's a brilliant line where he's beat himself up in his boss's office and it says, I don't know why, but this reminded me of my first fight with Tyler. And it's like, oh, yes. Um, and then it carries on and there's another uh, section of the film, uh, not as long, obviously, but a good section of the film and it um, continues considerably. But yeah, Fight Club knocked me for six when I was uh, appropriate age to watching it. Well, as we've discussed before, I saw it before I should have seen it. <laughs> um, but it's it's really stuck with me. It, it highlighted to me. I mean, I loved Seven at the time and I'd only just seen the game and really enjoyed that. Um and it really stood out that Fincher was an exceptional talent. And I started absorbing all the Chuck Planet books. And at the time, my, my girlfriend was in Portland, Oregon. So I was like, oh, God, now this is the place it's all from. And so I became a little bit of an obsessive for a little while. Um, but yeah, Fight Club, I think, is one of those great... I, again, I, I'm, I'm sure it's one of those twists that people kind of already know going into Fight Club now, much like the Star Wars thing. I think it's thing... Because Arrival... Um, is still fairly new, whereas Fight Club now being 21 years old, I think people know that twist. I think they know what to expect from that one. There's been enough jokes about it. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think, uh, I think you know, we'll, we'll get into a lot of the it's all a dream, it's all in your head kind of twist as we go on. But I think the reason that Fight Club holds up so well and works so well is that the fact that Tyler Durden isn't real doesn't invalidate anything that you've seen in the film and it doesn't it it, it mm, yeah it continues to explore the repercussions of that and like if anything that complicates jack or you know the narrator's life even more like it, in a way yeah. it would be so much simpler if tyler Durden was a real person um you know it, yeah. it it's the the fact that um 
it's it was all in his head and yet it all still happened um is kind of yeah, crucial yeah. yeah i usually hate the it's all in your head twists as we again we will discuss later on but this is one of the few ones that really works for me and like matt said i saw it at the right time i was a teenager it, it resonated and yeah i think it works well especially because again i'm bringing up performances because i think Ed Norton's central performance is so good. The support from Bonham Carter, as you mentioned, with Marler is really interesting as well. When you get those, as you said, Matt, the retakes essentially of the same scene again and you see him just like punch himself in the chin and throw himself through a bookcase and stuff and it's like, how the fuck did he do that? Like, they perfectly replicated the scene. Everyone else yeah, perfectly, yeah. perfectly replicated the scene. Ed Norton, just go mental. Just chuck yourself everywhere. But don't go too mental because <laughs> you have to throw yourself in the exact same way as you were when you were fighting Brad Pitt. I'm intrigued to see how they actually did those scenes, yeah. actually, and if there is any like really specific choreography that they practiced or anything like that. <laughs> but yeah, it's one, it's no, one of those twists that's still. Probably. Knowing yeah. feature, they did them over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, 150 <laughs> takes yeah. of punching yourself in the face. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think Fight Club, it, it, I think it has ascended to the similar kind of thing of everyone know there's, knows there's a twist in Flight Club. Even if you don't know the twist and you haven't seen it yet, you know there's something. And I love how, as you said, Matt, it's so self-referential in that way. They talk about like, hey, for fun, I splice a single frame of porn into family-friendly movies. And then there are single, there's single frames mm. of Tyler Durden. He just pops up at an alleyway or behind jack or whatever it is yeah and they literally mentioned that technique in the film as this kind of meta contextual commentary and then it happened it's happening in your in front of your own eyes and you're not even realizing like i remember watching it for the first time this is one of the ones i remember and i was like that just that's your brain pit (laughs) and i'm not i'm not sure if it was like i can't remember if it was vhs or dvd or whatever it was and i was like did I? Uh, I'm sure I've probably seen something. I didn't do the like rewind and go and check or anything like that. I just carried on watching. It's like, did that happen again? Am I going mental? This is weird. What's happening here? <laughs> I, like, yeah, I, I kind of noticed them See, as I went. And then I think I only noticed one or two. I think there's like six or seven or something like that. I'm like, mm. oh, I don't know. I must be making that up. <laughs> We, we, we're going to have to get into like a, a proper home media discussion and another interseason discussion in general. But um, uh, as I may have mentioned before, Fight Club, the two-disc awesome DVD, was the first DVD mm. I ever bought um, from, shit, I think Virgin Megastores. It was twenty four ninety nine, And that's what started my immense, immense DVD Blu-ray <laughs> collection. You've been um, buying religiously ever since. Yeah, the amount of extra uh, content on that second disc was just mind-blowing. It was like a film school's worth of stuff, and the fact they had commentaries and things was crazy. So Fight Club as well stands out for me for all kinds of reasons. What about you, Jack? I'm going to go for something fairly recent as well, following along similar sort of lines to Tim. And it is one of my kind of like, I don't know, pleasant surprises, because I was expecting a lot, because I like the, the filmmaker and the actors involved. But I want to talk about Get Out. Because I fucking yeah. loved that film. And they they do the very, very clever thing where... And be prepared, I'm going to spoil Get Out. So if you want to skip the next like five minutes, bear with me. They do the twist when you're like, oh, okay, so the mum is hypnotising 
him and she's been enslaving and brainwashing all these black people. That's real fucked up and weird, but at least he can escape with his girlfriend, right, and just run away. And this is one of those moments where I remember, like, oh, oh, this is where this film is going, is when his girlfriend catches the car keys and doesn't throw them back to him. Like, motherfucker, she's in on it as well. I did not see that one coming. Jesus Christ. And then, obviously, you get the, like, you get the moments with he finds the photos of the all the previous boyfriends and all that kind of stuff, and it's like, oh, no. Oh, no. They've been stealing her boyfriends for so long. That poor girl has just been, like, brainwashed as well, and she, <laughs> she's as much a victim as anyone else. And then she's maybe the worst. Yeah. And Like, God, that film is has so many different layers of, of commentary and just fantastic writing and direction and everything like that and again fantastic central performances as well and and across the board and it's just this masterpiece with playing with your expectations and even little things like the fact that he has the little he scratches the chair as he's doing his little uh like freak out moment and then uses that later on to then eventually escape and all this kind of stuff it's just Little moments, it set, sows the yeah. seed so perfectly, does a couple of twists and then continues with a, a high bar. And yeah, I just absolutely loved Get Out. And I think Jordan Peele is one of the most interesting and important filmmakers of the last 10 years, probably. That's fair. That's genuinely fair. Yeah, I, I very nearly picked Us as another one of my choices mm. because I, I thought that Good was... Good shout, good shout. He he is just the kind of the master of that. I haven't. I I really want to get around to watching some of his Twilight Zone stuff, which I've heard mixed things about. But um, yeah, I have as well. Yeah, but I'd be I'd be interested to see what he does with with something like that. Background to you, Tim. Yes. Um. So uh, I should go a little bit further back in time, and uh, go for the film The Others. Um, with Nicole Kidman and uh a bunch of ghostly children (laughs) (laughs) um which to my mind is just it's kind of a very classic it's it's i believe post sixth sense it is where there was there was a certain amount of um a trend towards these kind of films Uh of like oh okay let's let's do something that has a twist at the end that's done really well obviously six cents you know blew up um and to me there's a lot of inferior ones around that period um and the others holds up as something that manages to the first time you see it if you kind of go in without knowing the twist be very clever and again kind of play with your expectations of just in terms of like and again we'll we'll get into spoilers here the idea that you're watching a ghost story from the ghost points of ghosts point of view is such a clever thing yeah, and it and yeah. it because you kind of all your expectations are you know we're going to go into this are uh, some weird shit's going to start happening and we're following the the humans because of course we are and for most mm. people it will never cross your mind until you know get you get towards the end that like oh no like this is a haunted house story but we are following the ghosts and again you know it's in a way it's kind of a copy of the sixth sense in that it's the ghosts don't know they're ghosts but it plays it out in a very different way um because 
you have multiple ghosts and so uh you you have people who are being creepy because they know they're dead uh and then people yeah. who are to any other angle being incredibly creepy but they don't know they're dead um and the the kind of the seance scene at the end when it all kind of gets revealed and you the the kind of and it, and again it does that kind of stacked twist reveal where you go in and you're like oh the kids are dead they're um you know ah they've been dead the whole time and then a further penny drops and you're like oh and nicole kidman's dead though as well like every every fucker's dead um (laughs) it's it's a it's a very well paced revelation that kind of allows you to to kind of process stuff at just the right pace um and and plays out as as very effective yeah um so when the others first came out in 2001 i immediately didn't give a shit about it because again that post um sixth sense kind of world i was like oh yeah whatever it doesn't matter who gives a fuck um and then strangely enough um alejandro amenabar the the director um, his next work was Mar Dentro, or The Sea Inside with uh, Javier Badem. And that film gut-punched me. Um, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's about a guy who... It's, a, it's based on a real story about a dude who has effectively broken his neck in a diving accident and wants to die because he's led a full life. Um, and I was like, oh, this guy's amazing. Who is this director? Uh, and then went back and said, he did The Others? What the fuck? And I watched it and loved it. And it was amazing. I thought this is a fantastic film. As you say, the, t- the, 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 the twist hits you. And then you found out that the film he did before that was either Abra Los Hoyos or uh, Open Your Eyes, uh, which became Vanilla Sky in the remake. And you're like, oh, that's another <laughs> amazing fucking twist film and things like that. So he's, he's just a really um, interesting individual when it comes to that kind of direction. But yeah, the others, I think a lot of people probably did dismiss. I wouldn't be surprised if people know the film but mm-hmm. haven't seen it i'm i'm one of those people i know i've heard i've heard of it and know the twist but i've never actually sat down and watched it maybe i will now then fine you've convinced me well well it didn't take much convincing that's what sequelizers <laughs> do matt what's your next pick my next pick is still in the 90s i'm afraid uh, uh, this time it's another one of those ones that i saw a little bit late to the party, I think. Um, but not so late to the party that I... Okay, when I say late to the party, I mean by like a couple of years, not literally so late that it was absorbed into the culture as much as it ended up being parodied. Uh, and that is controversial director Brian Singer's um, The Usual Suspects. Mm. And with its controversial lead, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> Um, I fucking love The Usual Suspects. I remember, because I, I remember saying, like, oh, Gabriel Byrne, Irishman. Yeah, I want to watch this film. <laughs> um, I watched it and I knew there was some sort of twist or something in it, but then I learned it was just about, you know, this execution on a boat, basically. And the story sort of tells backwards and goes back through the interview with the um, verbal Kint as he's being uh, interrogated by Agent Kuyan. And I was just immediately drawn in, immediately hooked in it. And 
loved every fucking minute of it. And when he realised the twist, and not just that it's a... And this is the key thing here. This is kind of up there with the whole it's all in your head because Tim said about the whole in, uh, the invalidation of the entire film or the idea that it would dismiss everything that's come before. Usual Suspects literally does that, but in the most satisfying way. Because after a really entertaining story and Kint says to Kuyan that, you know, he had a friend and he trusted him and he lied to him and it was it's all but you're 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 completely correct in your assessment that this guy was just a murdering bastard. And the second he walked out that door, his uh, Kent's life would be at risk from this this maniac, super fucking crime lord Kaiser Soze. You're like, oh my god! And and he's like, it's too late. I'm I'm a dead man sticking out the door. I don't give a fuck. And as he leaves, and Kian's got that sort of smug look, like did it. I knew I knew it was him. Fucking solved the case. Brilliant. And as he's looking around the pin board full of stuff, and you realise all the elements of the story seem to be cobbled together from various bits and pieces on the board. And they're in the classic thing about the mug dropping to the floor and saying Kobayashi on it. Um, and then, you, you know, the verbal kid walking down the road and his, his, his limp starts to sort of uh, wear off. And then he gets in the car and you realise, oh, he's Kaiser Soze. Brilliant. This gene, but not just that. It's the question of, wait, did any of the film actually happen, or was it this one guy fucking within the whole time? Did was yeah. it, is it just a case of a few details or all of it? And it's just, but rather than being so frustrating, it's so satisfactory because of the nature of the writing and the filmmaking and the acting. It's just, just superb, absolutely superb. Mm. It is unfortunately a very problematic film uh, yes. now in terms of who's involved with it. Uh, but you can at least point and go, hey, that Christopher McQuarrie, uh, he knows stuff. And uh, he's he's a pretty good writer. Like, let's see what he went uh, carried on to do. Oh, he's doing some good shit. Uh, yeah. And uh, way of the gun, especially. I really like way of the gun. And see, seems to be uh, a pretty cool person, at least on Twitter. Thank God, there's one of them in that film. Cause, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Again, that's one of the ones I remember. I remember sitting down and watching that. I don't know if it was on TV or DVD or whatever, but I remember sitting down with my parents and watching it, and I think they had already seen it and knew the twist. And we're like, basically, you know when you've seen a twist and you bring a family member or a partner in and you're sat oh, next yeah. to them oh, yeah. and you end up watching <laughs> them for their reaction rather than the actual yeah. content. And I think both my parents like turned and they were like, oh, yeah, done. there goes Kevin Spacey. He's walking out the door. And there's the limp, and my mum turns around to me with a big grin on her face, and I'm like, what? <laughs> Oh. Oh, fuck. Oh, oh that's, that's clever. Okay, okay, okay. And, uh, yeah, it's a shame that I've... It's a, yeah, let, let's not get into the whole discussion about separating artists from art and all that kind of stuff, but I would like to go back and watch that. don't know if I want to. I'd like to, but I don't yeah. want to. It's all a bit weird. But yeah, yeah, I think that's, that's it's an all-time great twist. It became such an iconic Kaiser Soze. The name, the limp, and the run has been so parodied. And the, as you said, Matt, the mug smashing to the floor and turning towards the yeah. pinboard and all that kind of stuff. That is like, it's almost to the point of kind of ridicule at this point. How many times that's been parodied? And as I've said many times before, I often come into something late and see the parody before I see the original content and stuff like that, which is 
always a terrible way to consume media, but I didn't have much of a choice. Mm. <laughs> Thanks, Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was nice to have that reveal, you know, fresh for me, yeah. and then go on to see all the references to it in other stuff. Or or maybe I had seen the reference in The Simpsons but didn't get it yet, so I had no idea that was a thing. And then went back and went, oh, that's why that happened. Right, okay. And it kind of builds on the layers of reveals that way as well. Yeah, I mean, it's very much the case of imitation is the serious form of flattery. And the fact that... I mean, some things will be parodied because they're so fucking terrible. Um, I don't know if anyone's be parodying cats anytime soon, for example. <laughs> but whether it's good or bad, Luke. Uh, no, no, no. That's, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna misquote it because everyone no. says. But uh, no, no, yeah, no. I am your father. Thank you. Um, that shit is is the one that uh, the people would you know parody, imitate with you know either for pure comedy basis or trying to imitate a similar sort of evoke a sort of similar feeling. I think um, Usual Suspects had a very similar reaction. Like, oh, we have to have a huge twist where everything has been completely a lie. And it's like, yeah, no, you don't. You don't. <laughs> Jack Chambers. Matthew Stogden, hello. Give me a twist. I shall. Which is just lemon in a drink, isn't it? Yes, I believe so. I'll give you a, give you a twist in your apple tizer. I don't like lemons. I know that's for cleaning. Yeah, that's you know I like lemons for eating, not eating straight up not like an apple. <laughs> no, I'm not mad, up man. Eating, watch your face <laughs> curling up. <laughs> Just eating that shit. It's like a psychopath. He did go to school with a guy who ate entire lemons. Just just like apples, skin and all. That's disgusting. Fucking wrongin. Speaking of fucking wrongins, <laughs> I want to talk about Saw because uh, I have a confession to make. The Saw franchise is a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine, and it's some hot fucking garbage for like six films in a row. <laughs> but good lord, did I fall in love with that first film? I'm not much of a horror guy, but that fucking twist. When yeah, yeah. when Jigsaw has been the corpse in the room the whole fucking time and he stands up, I think I literally jumped out of my chair. I think I literally stood up and was like, what? What? And just like screamed at the TV or whatever it was. <laughs> like, I remember that moment of like, I never saw that coming in a million years. Holy shit. And then it's just like, oh yeah, Lawrence is going to escape. There's no problems. And then just get the game over and he closes the door and it's yeah. like fuck that's so good it's so cool it's so atmospheric <laughs> and and then just that reveal out of nowhere oh so clever and the way they do that the way that shot where the body just starts standing up and it's not even the focus in the shot and you're like wait what did that oh my god the body is stood up holy shit what Oh, so good, so good. Blew my mind yeah. as a teen and uh, perhaps wrongly encouraged me to watch a few more of those films. <laughs> they have twists <laughs> in them as well. They're nowhere near as impactful or interesting. It's full of <laughs> second and third layers of betrayals who are all apprentices of Jigsaw and they think they're <laughs> apprentices of Jigsaw but actually there's a true apprentice of Jigsaw who's betraying them and turns out he is actually the betrayer of the other guy 
because he doesn't like him because he's the favorite of the cure fucking hell they, they get too complicated and ridiculous mm. but i think the first film has one of the one of the twists i always think of when i think of crazy film twists and yeah set me set me on a path of watching shit films for years to come <laughs> tim have you got another choice for a memorable slash good i suppose twist uh yes and my twist is i don't know if it's a good twist but it's certainly a memorable one <laughs> i picked a rather trashy horror film from 2009 called orphan oh yeah uh which i don't know are, are you aware of the twist in this jack uh, I've heard of The Orphanage, but not Orphan, no. Oh, Orphanage is a good fucking film. I'm going to give you a, a, a little bit of a, uh, a story summary here uh, so for you and, and all the listeners who may not have heard of it. Uh, apologies, because this is obviously going to have spoilers. So uh, <laughs> film uh, stars uh, Vera Farmiga and Peter Sarsgaard as uh, a couple, uh, who a married couple who have a couple of kids and then they decide to adopt uh, this nine-year-old girl um, who's a little bit odd um, and a little bit strange. And and uh, creepy things keep happening around her and uh, people get injured, like the, the, the nun at the orphanage who kind of uh, arranged for the adoption, I think, gets killed. And then uh, a person at her school who was mean to her gets injured and stuff like that. And... For most of the film, it feels like it's going in very classic uh, omen, possessed child kind of route. Uh, And then the twist arrives that the nine-year-old girl is not actually a nine-year-old girl. She's a 30-something-year-old woman with a specific form of dwarfism, uh, which you discover as she's trying to seduce Peter Sarsgaard. (laughs) and uh yeah and then it yeah it, it basically it turns out like oh yeah she's she's not a child she's a grown woman uh but she just looks like a child uh and then i believe she kills peter sarsgaard and then uh, eventually uh vera formiga kills her uh what the, but what it the is fuck? so it is so <laughs> buck wild <laughs> um and it's actually it's pulled off like it's quite a trashy horror film but they pull it off reasonably well and it's just so out of the left field if you don't know the twist there's very little chance that you're going to see that coming especially because again and this is kind of playing that expectations game like we're so used to creepy children turning out to like be possessed by a ghost or a demon or something else that just be like oh no she's a 30 something psychopath (laughs) um just comes out of complete left field and um I'm not sure if I'd say Orphan is a good film, but it's a fun film to watch on like a Friday night when you're in the mood for something a little bit trashy. Uh, Doesn't she have like ribbons or or, or bandages or something like that that hides like scars and shit? She's got she's got scars around her neck and her wrists because uh, she Mm. had to be kept in a straight jacket in this uh, sanitarium in like Bulgaria or somewhere like that. (laughs) Uh, because film? she was like 
the most violent psychopath they'd ever dealt with. Um, and then, you know, obviously when, when she's pretending to be a little girl, they're just like, oh, yeah, she's just got like ribbons around her neck and around her, you know, she, and she likes to wear long sleeved clothes kind of thing. Mm. Uh, yeah. And then you get a scene where she's like taking those off and there's uh, these weird kind of like, uh, yeah, like almost like rope burn marks around where she's where she struggled <laughs> against her straight jacket. So, um so yeah that i I, just for the sheer balls of it i enjoy (laughs) that as a twist again i'm not sure if i'd call it a good one but uh it was the thing it's not necessarily a good film but the twist is pretty fucking good because as you say it's like wait wait what and that's that to be fair is arguably the definition of a twist it's like wait never entire film is not what i thought it was at all so exactly yeah well, equally, that can always be a bad twist, but the actual twist itself is good, so yeah. Matt, what let's up? twist again, like we did last summer. Hey, Ooh. no. Last summer we got arrested <laughs> for that. My twist is very brief and very simple. Because it's such a small thing that I don't even really even constitutes a twist. But I'm going to go with it. So in the film, I'm, I am I'm ready legend. to argue with this, listeners, because I saw this written down and I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, man? <laughs> um... Yeah, so here's the thing. In the same way that the Darth Vader reveal only... It doesn't really affect the story in a certain capacity. It's only really one character's perception of certain things. (laughs) I would argue that in I Am Legend, the moment that uh, Will Smith is uh, calling after his dog, Sam, uh, and then reveals to the audience that the name of the dog is in fact Samantha, and I'm like, wait, the dog's a girl? Um, I like it because it's not really a twist. It doesn't really do much of anything for the actual story, but it punched me in the face for expectations. It's like the kind of thing where they do those little riddles saying, oh, um, a man is brought into surgery and is treated, and you know, that kind of bullshit and say, oh, I don't understand. How could the doctor have been there? And say, oh, wait, 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 is it possible like it was this or is it part time? Is it time travel? It's like, no, it's the fact that doctor's a woman. Oh, shit. And you're so ingrained and used to things on screen in a certain capacity. And in this case, you're so used to the idea that, you know, oh, dog, Sam. Sam's a boy's name. That's a boy dog. It's a girl dog. Oh, okay. Is this, and it doesn't... Is this like you being like Donald Glover in Community, where it's like all dogs are boys <laughs> and all cats are girls? I mean, I watch Parks and Rec and I've seen that about April and Andy. So, yes, that's exactly how I see the world. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that, that's that's my twist. Um, and I will hear nothing against it. Right. Yes, you will. Because after the way you defined a twist, when we first discussed <laughs> this topic and then at the beginning of this episode, you come out with this bullshit. Yes. Because <laughs> the problem with this, that it is not a twist at all. It is very much a reveal. This is the definition of a reveal. Ooh, not only is it that, okay. it's a reveal only to the audience because Will Smith already knows. So mm. it's not mm. It's not a reveal even because the characters already know. It's a reveal to the audience, sure, but it has no effect on anything whatsoever. Matthew, this is not a twist. Your Honor, I rest Jack, my case. I, I, I beg to differ. I think this is a twist and a reveal because it was twisting to me. And that's all that matters. <laughs> Tim, please, please um, talk some sense into this madman. I think it, no, you, you make a valid point. I get it. I get it. I reject it, but I get it. 
Yes, not a twist. And also you've picked a, a, a plot point in a film that has a twist in it, Thank but you. not picked the actual twist. <laughs> this is true. The actual twist is irrelevant. The real twist is dog equal girl. <laughs> Do fuck right off, Matthew. Because I didn't on the little uh, show notes and our little script beforehand, as it were. I didn't. We've all just written some like titles and stuff. I didn't write "I am legend." I said the dog in "I am legend" being a girl. <laughs> yeah, for the for listeners, he specifically wrote that down in the notes, and I just like yep. sort of grinded my teeth and prepared for battle. <laughs> it was it was a short battle because because I won and you're wrong. Jack, what's your uh, amazing twist that bests that animal brilliance, that canine revelation? Better than your canine revelation, motherfucker. <laughs> and I know it is, because I know you love this film as well. And it's something yeah, yeah. we've talked about in uh, previous bonus content, funnily enough. So my pick is something that we've actually talked about, but not on the show necessarily. It was actually on some bonus content when we discussed... Uh, we did a our first episode of the what we've been watching recently uh, ongoing series, and we talked about Parasite, and I talked about my introduction to Korean cinema, and it's a film I will never forget as long as I live because mm. it is harrowing and disturbing and incredible. Two thousand and three's Old Boy, because yeah, boy. and this is one. I'm not going to spoil because I refuse to spoil it for people because I think if I had known going in, I might not have watched it. It is that yeah, much of a game yeah. changer. It is that much of a like, fucking hell, this is a big problem <laughs> from Twist. Like, <laughs> this, this, this is a big thing. And it's, it's all like, the film is fantastic. It's, it's immaculately acted and shot and... Um, the choreography for the fight scenes is brilliant and you know the story is interesting it's, it's a fairly straightforward revenge plot and then there are a couple of twists and turns <laughs> until it isn't and then it's not at all and it's yeah it's one of those films i i really want to go back and rewatch. and i'm like i don't know if i want to i don't know i really need to be in the mood to rewatch this because i went in knowing absolutely nothing but literally nothing i knew it was a korean film that was about it. Mm. I was like, I've heard really good things about this, and I think I was like seventeen or eighteen at the time. So it'd been a few years since it came out, but I'd avoided spoilers just because I was not like, you know, into Korean cinema like a teenage Matthew was. Um, Hello. <laughs> but yeah, Old Boy <laughs> is one of the most memorable film experiences for me, mainly because I went in so cold and had no idea what to expect, mm. and it just blew all my expectations away, and then just drilled one of the most impactful reveals I've ever seen on screen. And yeah, I refuse to spoil it. I'm sorry, listeners. You can go and watch Old Boy if you haven't ready. And for God's sake, watch the Korean one. Do not watch the Josh Brolin oh, one. Fuck, because yeah. it's garbage. It's a disservice to an absolute classic. And yeah, make sure you watch the original because it is an absolute yeah. masterpiece. I'm going to say nothing. I concur entirely. I, again, I agree with Jack not to reveal. Some of these films we've been talking about obviously um, have been out for a while. Some have been out, you know, for maybe only a couple of years. Uh, and some of the twists are so big that people will be aware of them anyway. Whereas Old Boy, again, it, 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 the audience is probably just bisected uh, into 
one half saying, I don't know, I haven't seen the film. I mean, I haven't got around to it yet. I mean, yeah, maybe I'll go watch it. Go fucking watch it. And the other half going, oh, shit. I, yeah, no, I'm on the same page. I get you entirely. Um, yeah. So no more from me. It's just genius. Yeah, fully agreed. Well, with that out of the way, should we get on to some not so successful twists? I guess spinning mm, off of bullshit. Matt's fucking dog gender reveal party. I feel you're right though. I do. I do feel bad about revealing that to the audience who hadn't seen I Am Legend. I feel like I've ruined the film for them. It's, re- it's really ruined that impactful <laughs> moment. Samantha. Oh, brilliant. Oh, yeah. The, the moment remembered by fans for generations. Yeah. <laughs> Highest point of Will Smith's career. Him saying the word Samantha. Yep. Exactly. Mm. So. Tim, why don't you bring us around to a shitty, not so exciting, but hopefully, maybe, no, I was going to say hopefully better than the jog, dog gender reveal, but probably not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, have a, I have a controversial choice and a safe choice, and I'm going to go safe first. I'm going to build up to my uh, one that I'm sure is going to be debated. Here we go. Yeah, you're going to slap for this, Tim. Sorry, Carol. Yeah. Uh, so my safe bad twist choice is Hancock uh, talking of Will Smith Um, initially a fairly fun enough premise it kind of happened during the first superhero boom yeah Um, the idea of like oh he's a superhero but he's kind of a shithead yes and interesting that it was like oh, okay, this isn't an adaptation. Like, this is an original story. Um, I have a feeling, I can't say for certain, I think it was one of those scripts that had been, like, knocking around Hollywood for a while. I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, before it got made and, and had a, a whole bunch of different people attached to it, you know, at various points. But, you know, it's a fine enough idea. Uh, uh, a superhero who feels kind of detached from reality, uh, detached from civilization and people, um, and then starts getting his act together and actually becomes a hero rather than just kind of a wrecking ball. Fine enough. And then they bring in this twist that Charlize Theron, who plays the wife of his new publicist, who he's kind of saved from a, a traffic accident, who then decides he's going to rehabilitate Hancock's image. Um, Charlize Theron turns out to be another superhuman who has the same powers, but also storm powers, <laughs> or possibly that it's just when they stand near each other, storms start going. I think it's literally that, that it happens when they're near yeah, each I other. Yeah, I think it's, it's when they're in presence of each other, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and it turns out that they've been alive for something like 3,000 years, and they keep getting... They're, they're destined to keep finding each other, and the last time they were together, which was like in 1920-something... Hancock got memory loss and that's why he can't remember. And it's just like, where did this come from? Like very little, like there's very little to kind of uh, imply that that is where the film is going when it starts out. And it's just such a weird left turn that then feels so kind of arbitrary. And there's a whole thing where like they sort of cancel out each other's powers and so um, I think uh, Charlize Theron gets... I, it's been a while since I watched it because it annoyed me so much when I watched it. And I was just like... I think you she know gets what? shot by Eddie Marson. 
yeah, something something like that. It's, I, I can remember watching it and just being that moment happening and being like, what? And then as the film progressed, I was just like, fuck this film. <laughs> <laughs> just like, it just seems such an arbitrary twist to what is starts out as a fairly solid concept. Mm. I think that's a fair point. Um, I, I I don't mind the film as such. I have a real problem with Jay, um, Bateman's character being fucking irritating. Um, I think you're right though. The first half is quite interesting in the sense of like you know, oh, what if there's this, this awful drunk douchebag superhero, which is great, and Will Smith playing a bit of an asshole is always fun. Um, in the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray or the DVD, uh, no, it's the Blu-ray I've got. Um, there's a whole thing about him ejaculating through the roof of his trailer, which is interesting. Um, <laughs> it's it's the um, the Mallrats Superman argument about Lois Lane wouldn't be able to hold his super ejaculate. Yes. It would blow a hole Ma- in her head. I, I taken from I can't remember who wrote the article, but it's called something like Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's uh, you know it was cut from the, the theatrical release, but it's in the in, in the uh, home media release. Um, and then it pivots from this sort of bit grungy, bit grimy. Um, awful kind of individual in LA to this stupid slow-mo sparring nonsense and this rather pointless reveal that again that they've always been drawn to each other and they're all connected they always find each other and no matter where they go it's like well hang on you got he got shot in the head in the 30s or be, no, he got hit on the head, sorry, with a pipe or something in the 30s, watching um, Frankenstein. Then he comes to and he just sort of drifts and just finds her in LA or something like that. But I think, again, I don't understand that. When, when you start to break down the logistics of it and how it takes place and what it actually means, how is, this, is she just doing a twilight and reinventing herself every couple of years, but has a child with Jason Bateman, if I remember correctly, that doesn't really make sense. It's It's all... Kind of just bullshit. Yes. Correct. It is very well it was, put. It was very much high on my list for picks as well. And you mm. beat me to it by a few minutes as we were filling out our uh, show notes there, Tim. Because <laughs> I just remember being like, as you said, Tim, it was part of that early phase of superhero films. And I was like, okay, Will Smith. Yeah, I see that happening. And. Oh, Charlie's Theron's on it. Okay, yeah, I can get behind this. This is fine. This will this will do. And they're like, they're ancient gods destined to be in love forever and sort of battle each other, but they're meant for each other. And like, where did this come from? And and as you said, Tim, I think my big big problem is it comes out of nowhere. And some twists work in that way, but this one is just there's no law established. Like, if he had perhaps like gotten his powers from a particular source that we knew about or something and then that would tie into their origin story or something like that maybe that would work but no it's just like you ancient gods see you later what yeah yeah it 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 just feels like it's come from a completely different film like it feels like it's fallen in from it's the kind of thing that i'd expect to see in like the eternals you know uh (laughs) Of like, oh yeah, we've been alive for thousands of years and we're destined to keep finding each other. And it's such a different tone to how the film starts. 
it just kind of it feels so foreign yeah. to, to kind of bring that part in. We also don't see any of this past. We just hear about it. Like this tall, blonde, white woman and this tall black dude. It's like it doesn't you don't have to go very far back in time for that to become a very odd visual. I'm not saying obviously in any way race politics stuff at all. I'm just saying for the nature of time and history and that shit. A mixed yeah. um a mixed race couple, as it were, is something that is accepted, obviously, because it's fucking entirely normal. But you don't have to go far back in time for that to be a controversial thing. And if they look like constantly finding each other and falling out of whatever it is, again, where is it? Where is this exactly? Did they come over on the fucking Mayflower or something? I don't. I don't understand any of it. It. And the thing is, it's not. And again, talking about mainstream again, it's not important. It doesn't fucking matter in the slightest. But that's what irritates me, that nobody's given any thought to this stuff. They just like, throw out a line like, oh yeah, they've always been doing this. It's like, no, that that doesn't work. Yeah, I think I think that's that's one of those things that can really ruin a film is where you throw in a twist and the writers have not thought through the implications of it. Mm. The best twists are there because they they could not be removed from the film. Yeah. Like they're so inherently part of it, yeah. And the worst ones feel like they've just been shoved in for the sake of having a plot development that you know people weren't expecting. Like a dog, that's very important. Yeah. <laughs> so, continuing our Will Smith theme, Matt, I believe you have another choice for us. I do. I've got a safe sequels. one and a controversial one as well. Controversial in the sense that it's not controversial at all. It's fucking... We'll get to that. The safe one is Bright. The Netflix film starring Joel Edgerton and Will Smith. Fuck that movie. Uh, Max Landis's Star Wars and All Lord of the Rings. I will happily, happily take shtick on the whole dog thing. That's fine. I don't mind that. I can, I can take that on the chin. My definition of a bad uh, twist to me, personally, I, I completely agree with what Tim said, um, is... If I can tell what the twist is in the first three minutes, I'm going to be angry. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying I'm like hyper heightened to like really, really intelligent or anything like that at all. It's more that when you see the formula for so for so many films, because you watch so many films, you absorb so much, you can't not become Neo um, <laughs> in The Matrix who sees the code in the walls and you go, oh, I see where you're going. So when a twist comes to is revealed to me, I'm like, Fuck, I didn't see that coming. I love what this is. This is brilliant. Perfect. I love that kind of shit. I like being taken by surprise. And that's not to say there aren't obvious twists that are presented to me. They go, no, I enjoyed that. I can see what you were doing, but I enjoyed it. But Bright is one that's so painfully obvious where it's going from start to finish. So at the start of Bright, there is a prophecy to do with a <laughs> magic wand. Magic wands are very... Uh, I don't necessarily think they're illegal, but they're very difficult because only certain magic users can use them. And if you hold them, it will just literally explode you, unless you are some sort of super awesome magical being called a bright. Um, and you know, a couple of cops try and hold onto it, a couple of gangsters try and hold onto it, and they explode into to shit. And uh, you know, humans almost never never brights. Elves quite frequently, yeah, sure. Um, that kind of thing. 
because of the nature of the the, the fey chemistry or whatever the fuck it is. But um, you're explaining this far more than the film does. <laughs> Thank you. I really feel like I am. And then at the end of the film, to save the day, last minute, what do we do? Oh, reach for the wand. And Will Smith reaches for it. And he's like, oh, I've got to do it. Doesn't matter. I've got to try. And he holds it. And within a couple of seconds, he doesn't explode. And Joel Edgerton's face through the makeup is like, oh my God, as Jacoby, wherever the fuck he is. Um, you were in a prophecy. You were bright. Oh! And it's like, yeah. I knew that from the fucking second it was Will Smith in this movie. It's obvious. <laughs> it was that's that's not even a twist because it was like so matter of fact that it was going to end up there. And because of that, when it's revealed to you, like, oh, oh audience, did you see? I oh, I didn't see that coming. Fuck right off back into the bin you crawled out of, you piece of shit. As soon as you get the line that oh. Humans are almost never brights. Like you instantly know. <laughs> oh, okay, that's in there so that that Will Smith can be one. You yes, know, he's the, he is the main human <laughs> character in this. He will be the bright. Um, and it also, like it's, it, it makes no sense. Like, well, why the fuck? Like, if you don't know that you're a bright, why the fuck are you reaching for the wand? Especially as you've seen so many people die. <laughs> yeah. Um, the only thing that would make more sense is if Will Smith reached for it, exploded, and then Tom Cruise came out and lifted up and said, no, I'm the real Bright. And we all go, oh, of course you are. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> so, Bright's awful. Um, Jack, do you have a, a safe and a controversial choice? Uh, in my opinion, I have two safe ones, but I believe you and I are going to have more words, Mr. Stoggs, about one of mine. You are... You are correct. I'm going to go for my un uncontroversial, according to Matt, pick, which is <laughs> the entire Now You See Me series, but specifically number one, because... Yeah, fuck and, that movie. Fuck these movies. I will reveal the reveal, because... Oof. I'd like to hear you summarize this. So there are a bunch of magicians who are also kind of terrorists, and <laughs> Mark Ruffalo is an FBI agent, and then he's not. Turns out he's been with them the whole time, despite the fact he's an FBI agent. And it doesn't make any sense because his dad's a dead magician, so he's carrying on the legacy of magic for some reason, whilst also having gone through FBI training specifically for this scenario that might never happen. So has he he spent an entire career for this one thing to reveal to people that don't know who he is that he's a magician? He's also in some bullshit order. Oh, no, I know. Well, this is all. And it turns out then that the whole thing is an audition to become members of the Eye, which is this magical cult. <laughs> the thing that is in the second one. And that's some bullshit too. But yeah, it becomes a whole thing. I don't want to say I liked the first one. I thought the first one had a couple of good moments. Agreed. But the problem the problem with doing a film about magic where you're doing tricks that are clearly impossible because you can do them with CGI is that's not what's... Like, magic is is fun. Like, stage magic, magician magic is fun because you know 
oh, they've done it. Like, I can't work out how they've done it, but someone really clever has designed this. And if you're just like using CGI to make impossible shit happen, you might as well just say, oh, they're all wizards. Um. And the, the the twist that they throw in with Mark Ruffalo is just an extra layer. It's like a, a bullshit slice of cheese on an already turd burger. <laughs> because it it's we've talked about how the most elegant, the, the best twists, they make you go back and, and look through the film again and go, oh, of course. Like, oh, how didn't I spot that? Oh, that bit makes like, oh, that adds an extra layer of meaning onto that scene and stuff like that. Whereas this, you go back through and go, well, why the fuck is he doing that <laughs> if he's on their side? <laughs> why does he do anything in the entire film if he's secretly yeah. on the side? Why, why has he become an FBI agent? Why is this happening at all there is a great um problem as well with this story in the sense that if you're going to have a twist where a character isn't who they say they are and not in a kaiser soze kind of way in a reveal to the audience you can't have that person being so method as that character that they are portrayed that they are playing something else um when no one is around so there's, I'm pretty sure there's a couple of scenes where Mark Ruffalo is getting angry that he can't figure out who these guys are and how they did their things. Oh, but there's no one else in the room with him. There's no one watching him. <laughs> so he's pantomiming for no one other than himself, which means he's doing it for the audience. It's that, it's is that his, uh, so that's what that feels like moment. Yes. It's like Batman can't is. not be Batman. It's doing the Batman voice when there's no one else there. <laughs> yes. Entirely. Um, I like to think of Now You See Me, because um, I think Tim's right, there are some interesting moments in it. I think The Illusionist and The Prestige are brilliant because they both take magic films or magic tricks, as it were, and say, no, this is how it's done. This is why it's all interesting. And they're based on actual tricks, effectively. And say, oh, that's actually quite mm. interesting, except for, you know, The Transported Man too, or whatever. But um, the, the difference between Now You See Me, now, they, they do say that some of them are, like The Rain Going Up, for example, that that uh, Jesse Eisenberg does. Apparently that's to do with like strobe lighting, for example. Like, oh, okay, that's quite interesting. But then there are other ones you're like, no, no, that doesn't feel like a, a thing. That feels literally like you just CGI'd it in there. Um, and it's like the, the whole illusion, the, the experience I would sum up as you're in a lift and you smell a fart and you're like, Ugh, and you look around and there's no one else there and you go, oh, 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 it was me. I fired. <laughs> <laughs> and then you think, why didn't I feel leave my body? I mean, you realize your anus is just this giant prolapsed fucking sarlacc pit and you go, oh, Jesus that's Christ. a bit disappointing. And then you leave the lift. That's now you see me. In a way, yes. And I, I was, I can't remember if I saw... Now you see me too, by the way, is going back into the lift and sniffing it. Oh, yeah. I'm just taking a big old whiff. With, I think I saw some behind the scenes with Jesse Eisenberg. I think it was Jesse Eisenberg who was talking about it. And he'd legit learnt some magic. And then he was doing legit magic. That's such a Jesse yeah, Eisenberg thing to do. Is, is, <laughs> yeah. is he the pickpocketing guy? One of them is a pickpocketing guy. Is that, is that Franco? No, I, that's, that's, uh, that's Dave Franco. Yeah. So he learnt legit pick, pickpocketing from an actual expert and did legit stuff on set. And they were like, we can't see you do it, and they were, like, and they were like, no, 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 you need to, you need to, Dave, you need to steal, steal the thing. He's like, I had, I did look, and he pulled it out of his pocket, and they're like, well, we didn't see you, and he was like, 
good? Like, no, 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 we need to see no. you do it because it's <laughs> film. And it's like, well, then why did I bother learning how to pickpocket then? <laughs> why have you got a pickpocketing expert when you just film a close-up of me slipping it into my pocket anyway? Why are any of us here? What's the point? <laughs> and that just summed it all up for me. I was like, yeah, we bring all this cool stuff. And as you said, Tim, it's just like, let's just yeah. do, do it in post. It's fine. Yeah. Why are they magicians then? Yeah, Why does any of this matter? One of the few good bits in that is the the Dave Franco kind of magic fight scene. Um, if purely because it, I look at that and go, see, you could have done Gambit well. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's throwing cards. He's throwing like fiery things. Like could have worked. Tim, Tim, you haven't seen the uh, the second now you see me, but they do a whole really insufferably frustrating thing where they're trying to break into this uh this clean room where uh, you can't have anything on your person or whatever and they've got this one playing card and they're flicking it back and forth between each other and it's so fucking annoying and it's oh. i've seen that clip and yeah it's uh oh, it's, it's such utter nonsense that's how fox would have actually handled gambit yeah <laughs> tim you said you had a controversial pick. I think I think the the dukes are up. Let's hear it. Let's do it. Um. So I don't like the twist in seven. Which one, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I mean, seven is a film that I have a lot of issues with. Um. As much as I enjoy Fincher as a filmmaker. Um, and as much as it became kind of early on a, a real signature for him and kind of led to him getting a lot of other films. It was his redemption after Aliens 3, certainly. Yeah. Um, I think it is a kind of a case of style over substance for the most Ooh. part. And I think the twist at the end where it's Gwyneth Paltrow's head in the box is bad um because it makes no sense both in terms of like thematically in what john doe seems to have been trying to do in the film and in terms of pragmatically what john doe's day has had to be like in order to get <laughs> that head in that box to that uh delivered yeah. weird field in the middle of nowhere for 7 p.m um because we see we see uh Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow together that morning before uh, uh Brad Pitt gets called into work so Kevin Spacey's character John Doe has had to basically come into their house as soon as Brad Pitt left kill Gwyneth Paltrow cut her head off um <laughs> package it up cleanly because if you look at that box there's not a speck of blood on the outside of the box so cleanly package it up get it to a delivery company that works on a sunday and say i want this to be delivered to this field in the middle of nowhere at exactly 7 p.m please um uh, between cutting her head off and and get sorting that out he's had to change clothes because he would have been covered in blood but then he changes back into his blood splattered clothes to then go turn himself in at the police station uh because that all happens on the same day so the logistics of it are like 
when you stop and think about it, you're like, wait, that's a very, he's had to do a lot of peddling around there, especially given that we know that some of the crimes that he's committed have been set up years in advance and they find his notebooks and he's been planning stuff for years, like at least at least a year, at least 12 months in advance. But Mills, Brad Pitt's character, only gets put on the case a couple of days before he kills Gwyneth Paltrow. Like the, 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 the whole film takes place over a couple of days, maybe like four days at the most, probably three. Sure. So he's had to suddenly and rapidly change his his meticulous plans that he's done of these thematic murders to allow for just because he's got weirdly obsessed with Mills. But we don't really see that happening. Like we don't really get a reason why he's done that beyond Mills kind of almost catches him. And the the thematics of it don't work because the... You know, he is killing people to uh, in a way that um, matches the sins that they have committed. So the person who was uh, slothful gets killed in a slothful way. And the person who was prideful gets killed in a prideful way, etc., etc. Although they're, they're, you know, the means of their murder tie into how they died. And we're supposed to believe that this final one is envy and wrath but him killing Gwyneth Paltrow he is the one he is the one who is supposedly envious of Mills and and you know he's got a happy family kind of thing so why does he kill her she has not committed any sins he is the one who is sinful and then wrath is Mills killing him which again that is Mills, who is the wrathful one, surely he should be the one to, to. It's one of those ones where, like, it's a great moment in the film, and then as soon as you start going, wait a minute, it starts to fall apart for me, and I don't think it works. I can certainly see where you're coming from, Tim. I do get that. Um, I think. A lot of. No, I'm not saying what you can speak could be countered, but I I would uh, offer up the idea that of the infallibility of the serial killer. Um, so specifically, the idea is because this guy's meticulously planned from start to end, and as you say, um, yeah, sloth is the one that he's got with the with the, all the magic tree air fresheners, and it's taken like you know, mm. and it, it like an entire year or whatever it is. And with uh, gluttony, he's you know kept this guy and feeding him for so fucking long. It's a very long, invested, drawn out thing, and forcing him to change his plan at the last minute. Um, I don't know. Part of me feels that's enough, uh, just to say that you know because he was close to being caught, he effectively could say right, well, okay, now. Now I'm going to change my plan. I'm going to. I mean, it could be that somebody's locked up somewhere, you know, furiously yeah, with, a, with, a, with a big wrath written on the wall. Yeah, exactly. It's like ah, bugger that one. I got a better one. I got a slightly joke. Um, you're right though. The idea that the Paltrow is killed instantly, but that also then means that 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 his execution is almost in his eyes justified. He wants to die because if if he doesn't, it's not it doesn't work and it doesn't prove his point. And it does, and it's it's that misanthropic mindset of humans are awful, but I'm also human, therefore I'm also awful. So I don't mind that I have to die. It proves my point. Um, and equally, as you say, um, 
uh, Pitt's character doesn't die because he is the embodiment of wrath, but at the same time, he's dead inside. He when he's driven away and he's just staring at that car window, it's you know it's it's robbed everything from him. Um, and and then you know Somerset becomes just the witness to the whole thing, you know, r- mm. rather than participant at that point. Um, so I think I think I do get it. I can entirely see where you're coming from. I can see why you'd be disappointed with it. I think it's still good, but you're right. When it's like when you start breaking down the logistics of it, it does become more complicated. I mean, uh, my my solution is, I suppose, after he's done the murder, because the thing is as well, he doesn't just kill Gwyneth Paltrow. He has to kill those dogs too, surely, because they're big fucking dogs that they live with. Um, maybe just puts a coat on and uh, <laughs> covers it up. Um and also, I believe a delivery service could could just be good if you have enough. I mean, he he gets people to design that sick fucking strap on blade thing. Um, he's paying, you know, he's he's clearly invested. I think he's, um, he might know the best courier service. Yeah, <laughs> he's clearly invested. Says Matt. Thank you for yeah. your detailed description of an incredibly full planning serial killer. Yeah. It's weird, not really something I'd thought of as a bad twist, but now you spelled it out like that, Tim, I'm like, oh yeah, I've learned to go back and watch Seven. I haven't seen that film in years. Maybe it's not as good as I remember it being. <laughs> Maybe it does all kind of fall <laughs> apart. And it's and it's weird because it is a, it's a film I enjoy and a film that, for the most part, I think does work. And... and you know, kind of, yeah, that the the idea that Mills is, you know, he's he's punished for wrath even if he's not dead, kind of thing. But I think, yeah, it just it, it's one of those films that I saw and I really enjoyed, and then going back to it and thinking about it as as years have gone on has kind of niggled away at me, and I've just been like, mm, I don't think it's I don't think it's Fincher's best. I think I think there's uh, there's certain it doesn't hang together as perfectly as as it appears to. That's fair. So, Matt, what is your semi-controversial choice? So I discussed the idea of a twist that's so painfully obvious it barely counts as a twist, such as uh, Smith being a bright, and that really fucked me off. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, one that is so pointlessly shoehorned in that doesn't even feel like it can really even work just to appease an audience, like just to justify that there is a twist. Um, like, in a way that the, the Shyamalan expectation, like, oh, there must be something coming, like with Lady in the Water. He's the twist guy. Gotta be a twist coming somewhere. All right, all right, like, let's get ready. We, we always we always skirt around this, this uh, franchise, but the rise of Skywalker. Ooh, here we go. It's no, I make no aspersions of bones. I like Ryan Johnson a lot, and I really like The Last Jedi. The things that annoyed me about it in tiny little bits and pieces, I forgive those quite easily when it comes to the main whole of what it's trying to do. Trying to hurt fans specifically, because, like, oh, what, what hurt fans when it was the, you know, Empire Strikes Back? It's the idea that the good guy and the bad guy are actually linked, even though they you wouldn't have seen it coming. Like, oh, that's, that's. That's crushing. No, I, I don't want that. I don't. I don't like that. It's he's not his father. That's wrong. He because he's the good guy and he's a bad guy. Don't give me complication. And like, oh, what's the thing that crushed the audience this time? The fact that it doesn't matter whose people's parents are, and pr- you know, the same fucking five specials and families and whatever. Just the concept that people can be 
born from nothing. It's and you can work everything. It's so intrinsically cool. And that even in your darkest hour, sometimes no one is coming. Um, it, all kinds of things in there. There's so many wonderful themes and layers, etc. And yes, it didn't please everyone. I don't give a fuck. Rise of Skywalker fucked me off no end. I still don't like it. Um, and the the twist, and this is the kind of thing, what, what's the major twist? The twist is a Palpatine. The Palpatine thing fucked me off. I don't like that the Emperor's back. I don't like that the Emperor's thing is still, it's part of my plan. <laughs> Your plan sucks balls, man. Jesus fucking wept. And then that not only that, that he got busy, except he didn't because maybe a clone one did and they keep re retroactively changing the, de the details. Um, oh, my granddaughter. It's like, okay, no, I don't like that at all. Um, and it doesn't fit for Ray really very well. It doesn't fit for what we've seen in the past at all. It just feels like... It's the Bran Stark becoming king of fucking Westeros bullshit. It's the idea of, well, who would they guess? Has to be someone from an original trilogy thing to make it actual meaningful sort of uh, revelation. Everybody's guessed everything else. Let's go with something that's slightly, you know, left field slightly. And it cheapens the character and the reveal just, or the twist, I should say, does nothing. And it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change how I see any of the Star Wars films. It doesn't change how I see Rey as a character because she still doesn't make sense. That if Rey was just a clone, it would be fine. The fact, you know, your your parents are nothing. Uh, the whole, you know, clicking fingers thing, which is just lines going back and back and back. It would have been perfectly fine. She was a clone of Anakin or something. Anything like that would have been great. But no, she's... She Palpatine's granddaughter, and she is there to get really Jedi hench, so he can kill. No, she can kill him, and he can live in her body. What the fuck, man? What the fuck? Bad twist. Funny enough, I didn't particularly like the Last Jedi, but I completely agree with you on this, Matt. I remember us talking about The Last Jedi, obviously off-air, when, when we were first kind of discussing the the sequel trilogy, I guess it's called now. Mm. And I was the least enthusiastic of the group. Um, and I said, well, whatever happens, they need to commit to this. Because there was so much neckbeard online whiplash fucking reactions from idiots saying, oh, it's too much, you know, token diversity and me, me, me. Ray's just a pointless character. She's so powerful. Me, 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 me. All this pointless moaning. And then they had to go and make her a fucking Palpatine. And as you said, Matt, at time of recording, fairly recently in the last couple of weeks or so, the kind of like people were reading like the novelization and all this kind of stuff and all the new quote unquote news outlets were talking about how, oh, it turns out her father's a bodged clone. And I was like, well, then she's not his... He's not her grandfather. A clone <laughs> is not related to you, so that's you're not... You're either her father, because that guy's a clone, or you're not at all, because it's a different person. You can't have it both ways. 
but the film tries to have it like six different ways and then like no no she's all the jedi and they do all the like fan servicey stuff like hey look it's ahsoka tano from um clone wars and rebels and there's the original alec mcginnis obi-wan there's ewan mcgregor came back to record extra obi-wan stuff like oh that's so cool Mm -hmm. no wait none of this makes sense this is all bollocks but (laughs) that brief moment is so cool like you hear all those different moments and all those amazing jedi across the the history of the franchise and it's like it's legacy legacy stuff none of this makes sense yeah it's it's such absolute bollocks (laughs) (laughs) and and like like you say jack the thing where they've they've kind of revealed post post facto oh no he wasn't actually like don't worry emperor palpatine doesn't fuck (laughs) he had a he had a clone that was bad that was like uh didn't have any force capability and so that clone got to run away and go have a daughter but now now the daughter's got super powerful force stuff if the whole idea is that you're you know and i i hate it and it was the thing that that last jedi kind of firmly uh tried to put out in this franchise the idea of like making it all about these these dynasties especially the skywalkers and saying like these like the force runs in families and it's important that you have to be a member of these families and and last year i kind of very firmly says like ray comes from nothing the force can be used by anyone like it is out there for everyone to use and you know the the, the final shot where the the kid grabs the broom and it says you know no this 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 thing is bigger than just a few families and then Rise of Skywalker comes along and goes, actually, no, it isn't. It's this story is all about these families. It's, you know, supposedly now this these two families, even though we only found out one was a family in this film. Yeah, we just thought it Christ. was a dude. Um, but then with the whole like botched clone thing, it then undermines the idea because it's like, well, if if the clone didn't have any force capabilities then the force can come from nowhere because like it skipped a generation (laughs) like it's it's such a messy you can feel the backpedaling and you can feel the poorly like hoping that people aren't gonna think this thing through and it's like it's fucking star wars people dedicate their lives to this thing (laughs) you know for right or wrong they're, they're going to pick apart these decisions you make. Like, why are you rushing this through? Why not take an extra year to make sure the film is right? And and it's and like you say, there's so much in it that is trying to um, backpedal and appease the people who were pissed off by The Last Jedi. But you end up with a film that pisses off everyone. Because <laughs> I don't think there's people out there who saw The Last Jedi and were like, uh, I don't like this version of Star Wars. It's it's taking it away from what Star Wars should be to me. And then watch the Rise of Skywalker, and we're like, yeah, great, restored my my hope in the franchise. I I'm sure people do exist out there who are like that, but I think those are very few and far between. I think yeah. what you mostly have are people who didn't like the Last Jedi, who then saw Rise of Skywalker, and were like, it's continued to be awful. And people who liked the Last Jedi, and were like, oh, I'm really excited for this interesting new direction who then watched The Rise of Skywalker and were like, I don't like Star Wars anymore. It's a really frustrating film because I went in cold, obviously, on on day of release and I wanted to like it because I was like, 
as Jack said, I wanted them to commit to Last Jedi, and if they didn't, I want them to give me a reason why I don't care about Last Jedi. You know, to, to, to not convert me as such, but like move to keep moving the story forward. Except it didn't; it moved it backward, and everything that happened in like um, Last Jedi kind of happens again in in Rise of Skywalker, but badly. So you end up with um, send out like a, a distress signal, and no hope is coming, and you're like, "Fuck, that's really bleak." But that's you know that's Empire as fuck to be honest, um, and then. They do it again, but don't worry, because Lando had a whip round and there was just some people lying in the back and they said, yeah, we'll come this time on your left. And it's like, fucking hell, a falcon <laughs> on your left, Disney. Anyway, Star Wars aside, because I'm sure we'll get a lot of uh, ass chewing with that one. Uh, Jack, do you want to piss me off? Always, Matthew, always. It's my, the finest delight in my life at this time, in a time of isolation and just, you know, I'm not being able to piss you off in real life. I need to save it this moment. Because I hate I hate the final twist in Shutter Island. You suck. No, I don't. The film <laughs> is good. Good. Up until then, everything's good. Good acting. Good, interesting cinematography. Like Well-produced, great costumes, great set design, all this kind of stuff. But it was all a dream, so it doesn't matter. Just, blah, 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 blah. Sorry, what? What did you say, Shutter Island? Oh, it's, it's, it's all a dream. It's, it's all in his head. It's fine. It's all in his head. Oh, you mean the single most cliched ending of anything ever? Brilliant. You're doing that in the 2010s. Mm. <laughs> okay. Great. Thanks for that. Jeff, fuck you the last five minutes of Shutter Island. And you, Matthew. And you. <laughs> um, me, uh, uh, allow me to retort fuck you no no um, <laughs> Dennis Lehane uh, is the guy who wrote the the novel version of Shutter Island which was then uh, adapted by Scorsese um, admittedly it's still a 2000 and, oh shit 4, 3, something like that uh, early 2000s book and I think it was supposed to be some sort of homage to uh, older, pulpier novels in gothic sort of things like that. And I think to me, as I mentioned earlier with The the Wizard of Oz, the oldest arguably oldest cliche is that everything you've seen is false. And part of the reason is because in 1920s Dr. Caligari or the cabinet of Dr. Caligari um, it was deemed that it was far too fucking dark. It's like, this is a fucking, the somnambulist um, sleepwalking controlled motherfucker is like uncontrollable that's just horrifying this is gonna this is gonna be you know gonna get in a lot of trouble so I said well, why don't we twist it and, and say it's all been taken place in an asylum and the doctor is actually an actual psychological doctor and says ah and now I have found a way to cure him the end um, it was a workaround basically for making a film that wasn't just like uh, incredibly fucking bleak and you're like, oh, okay, fair enough. And then you get Wizard of Oz, and it's it's uh, again saying that all this fantastical stuff and the entire nature of the story is just a fever dream. And one could even argue one of the again a really fucking great um, uh, twist, which I wanted to bring up instead of uh, Samantha the dog, which was going <laughs> to, which I probably should have now in hindsight, um, is the twist in Jacob's Ladder. Have you guys seen Jacob's Ladder? No, I'm not. No, I'm I'm. Vaguely aware of it, I think I might know the twist, but I—I I, I, I feel like I don't want to say anything then. 
Yeah. I'll, I'll just leave it at that, basically. Um, that yeah. everything you think is like, oh, shit. Oh, okay, that's different. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing with, with Shutter Island. It's it's not that it's just, oh, it's all a dream. It's that you are witnessing a psychological experiment that isn't, or seemingly isn't working. And the twist, and this is the key point here, the twist is either that the whole thing has been a misdirect from the perspective of the character, and we're living through his um, his psychosis and his fantasy to cope with what has happened in his life, or the actual twist is that he is in fact cured and doesn't care anymore because he doesn't want to live with the memories and wants to die. So, I, again, I I think it's great. I really enjoy Sharon. I think it's one of the it's it's Scorsese's one of Scorsese's most fiscally successful films. Weirdly enough. Not entirely sure why, but there we go. But I really like it personally. But uh, I can see, I can see why it would be frustrating because it is a very cliched trope, because it has been around for, frankly, since as long as cinema has, um, and it has one. It's it's been brought from. I mean, even like for example, I mean the most cliched film. Uh, sorry, not film. Uh, television development is Bobby fucking, uh, whatever his name is, um, Bobby Ewing in the shower in Dallas. Oh, Bobby had a terrible dream. It's like, yeah, because the ratings were plummeting and no one liked this, so you had to bring the character back and everything had been dismissed. So, I get it. Okay. Okay. It was less of a fight than I was expecting. That's fine. Oh, yeah, no, it's 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 a, it's, it's a meeting of opinions and a differing of opinions. As fans, we can do that. Unless you're a fan who really, really loves the idea that Ray Palpatine exists <laughs> and wants to adopt the name Ray Skywalker, in which case you can literally, literally go fuck your own face. So... That has taken us through some good twists, some bad twists. I think we've we've some controversial twists. We've reached something of an agreement on on what what constitutes a twist, mm-hmm. what makes a twist good, what makes a twist bad, um, and even where we've disagreed. I think uh, it's it's a case of you know the films aren't going to do the same thing for it, for everyone. So um, yeah, I think. Um, I'd be interested to hear from our our listeners what their favourite and least favourite twists are. I would say carefully and cautiously having a debate online, both Discord and Facebook and Twitter, etc., etc. Bear in mind, now obviously we've, you know, whipped through shit, but obviously there is a way you can literally skip past the elements of what we're about to talk about. Maybe we'll do timestamps and that kind of thing. But if you're just like tweeting the ending of things, don't, don't be a dick. Yes, yes, that's a very good point. Don't, don't, uh, don't just be the person running past the bookstore yelling, uh, "Snape kills Dumbledore." Yes, ah, oh, that guy. So, if you do want to hit us up online, we are at Sequelizers on Twitter, Sequelizers on Instagram as well. I personally am JLW Chambers. Matt is Stogs, S T O G H Z. Tim is Trivia underscore Lad on Twitter. And if you found any of our opinions controversial, put put your fists up. Let's let's do some fisticuffs, some verbal fisticuffs on Twitter. <laughs> Spoiler-free fisticuffs. <laughs> let's do this. Um, if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers, get a load of bonus content. I hinted at some bonus content earlier. We've got a regular series of what we've been watching recently. We've got outtakes. We've got movie commentaries. We've got all that good stuff. And a variety of different tiers, a variety of different options and rewards. If you're able to support us in these dark apocalyptic times, 
please do, please do. But we understand if you can't. Not everybody, you know, a lot of people are losing their jobs at the moment. We totally understand that. We've had a few patrons let us know they're going to have to cancel their subscriptions and stuff. We understand. But the other way you can support us is going through some podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podchaser, Podbean, all of them. There's millions of them. Give us a review, five stars, thumbs up, whatever it is. Share us with your friends, share us on social media, and you can support us for free by doing that way and helping us reach out to more listeners and uh, grow the ever-growing army that is the army of the sequelizers. We, we still need a fan name. We haven't decided on a fan name yet, have we? Uh, them lot. <laughs> uh, the uh, YouTube channel Up Up Down Down, uh, again, back to wrestling, hosted by Xavier Woods, the WWE wrestler. They have a you people is what they call their fans, <laughs> which I absolutely love. So maybe them lot might be not, not too bad. I quite like them lot. Them lot over there. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we hope that uh, when when you get this podcast, you're, uh, you're, you've stayed safe and healthy uh, and you're doing your best to help the people uh, that you can in your community around you. Um, we're obviously recording remotely and uh, we will be for the time being. Um, but we're going to try and keep uh, coming out on a regular schedule, uh, hopefully not taking any uh, unforeseen breaks so that uh, you you guys have stuff to listen to and hopefully enjoy while you may be stuck at home or, uh, you know, uh, struggling with uh, a little bit of isolation, which uh, is completely understandable. Um, but we hope that this has given you a little bit of a time off from thinking about the world. We also should point out that if you're thinking to yourself, huh, these guys were very conscious of uh, isolation and um, quarantining and things in this particular episode. And then for the rest of the season stuff and the start of the next season, they didn't talk about it again. It's like, yeah, because we recorded this out of sequence for reasons. Um, (laughs) But we'll come back to being this later. Um, So, yeah, we may sound a bit all over the place to start with, but um, we'll make it work so that you can have more stuff. That's all we can do. That's all we can do. Oh, we'll be back to normal next week, listeners. Don't worry. But until then, thank you very much for listening. I've been Jack Chambers. Oh, what a twist! Oh, there's the twist. (laughs) But wait, I've also been Jack Chambers. Oh, fuck me, another twist. In a way, we're all Jack Chambers. How about that? If Jack's been dreaming this, Jack, you've had some fucking cheese before you went to bed. I'm a cheese fiend.